My name is Adam, um, or Frosty, whatever you want to call me, that's all good. I want to say welcome out to Elam Christian Center this morning. I got a word for you today, and I got a word that's going to help you know God better. Who wants that? Yep, <laughs> for everyone else, well, we'll pray for you, but um, we're going to have a good time this morning in church. Before I go any further, I just want to give some honor to two incredible individuals, our lead, our senior pastors, Pastor Luke and Marilyn are just sitting back here. Amazing, we're going to honor you. Let's put our hands together and welcome Pastor Luke and Marilyn. It is so amazing that we get to do what we do here. This is six, our sixth campus, six campuses, part of one church, and it was all started by Pastor Luke in Maryland about 32, 33 years ago. And the reason we can do what we do is because we stand on the shoulders of giants. And so we're on it. We've got it good, all right? Like this is not a usual church starting sort of scenario. But the reason that we get to enjoy this is because this couple went before us and we're so faithful. So we're so honored to have them in the house today. One more time, we honor them and thank them for being here with us. I tell you the truth. They pulled a sneak attack on me. I didn't know they were coming. And so they turned up and I was nervous, right? I thought, I wish Darcy was preaching today, but I am. Um, but we're going to have a good time. We finished our series last week called Anatomy. So today's a bit of a standalone message. I can't wait to share it with you. It's called Sent Straight to the Principle. And you might have some notes as you came through the door. Please take notes, all right? For your sake, not for mine. I'll be fine whether you do or don't. But if you take notes, it might help you learn and remember something that you can take away and apply to your life. That would be awesome. Now, Back in primary school, I'll tell you the truth, I was ruthless, right? I know you can see by my physique, I was the sort of guy not to mess with, but me and my friend Sam, we built a reputation among the other primary school students that those are the two guys you don't mess with in this school, right? Nothing has changed. And uh, don't, I'm ruthless. I was, especially back then. And, and I remember... Um, one day I was out on the field and we were playing rugby and there was this new kid to the school named Greg and Greg was being quite aggressive on my field. And, and while we were playing rugby, I was watching and this poor, innocent, beautiful young man was running along and Greg punched him in the face. Yeah, I know. And I had two, I had two issues with this. Firstly, Kyle was a lovely boy. Kyle didn't deserve this. Kyle did nothing wrong. And secondly, if anyone was going to be punching faces in this school, it was going to be Sam and I. All right? I was ready to stake my claim. And so I couldn't believe what I saw right in front of my eyes. So I ran over and I tackled Greg, who was much bigger than me. But remember, I was ruthless. I was, I was fearless. And, and I jumped on top and I gave him a few blessings. And then I, I jumped off. And I let Sam jump on to add a few little cheeky extra things. I add the spice in. And now usually... This sort of attack would stun our victims into oblivion, right? But Greg was something different. Greg was something I'd never experienced at the school. He jumped up and he started to chase us. And so naturally, we started to run. But instead of being fearful, we were filled with laughter because Sam and I were like the fastest kids in the school. So we're like, this guy's going to chase us all around the school. He's never going to catch us, right? And so we start running, and we're running around like classroom blocks. We're running through sports games. We're trying to find a place of refuge. And I remember we ran through this one baseball game, and Greg runs along. He grabs the baseball bat, and he hurls it towards Sam's head. And I'm running like alongside this and everything goes into slow motion. It's like, I'll be honest, part of me kind of hopes it hit Sam. Because back then I thought it would be real funny in the stories that we would tell about it. But it narrowly misses his head and the chase continues. So we continue running, cracking up, laughing the whole time, but deep inside thinking this will be the day that I die. And we see a teacher up on the top court. And she's on like lunchtime duty. And I'm like, this is our moment to get safety. If we can just make it to that teacher, we're going to be okay. And so we keep running all the way up to the top court. We get behind her and we think we've finally found the perfect defense. 
but this Greg is a special kind of angry. And he runs up to the teacher, he swears at her, and he attempts to push her aside to get to us. This is primary school. I'm freaking out. I'm looking at Sam, and I'm like, this guy is way more ruthless than us. He can have the throne. Like, give it to him. Anyway, the teacher sort of diffuses the situation, and I'm sitting there like, what sort of barbarian is this? In primary school, swearing at the teacher. Anyway, she, she settles it all down, and we get sent to the office, and we're sitting outside the principal's office. And we've got just a moment before we get called into the principal's office to make sure we've got our story straight. So we have a detailed chat, Sam, this is what happened. We're on the same page. We've got the same story. This was all in self-defense and it was all to protect poor innocent Kyle. Anyway, we get called into the principal's office and within 30 seconds, he just comes straight at it. What happened? And without hesitating, Sam says, we didn't like Greg, so we punched him in the face. I'm like, (laughs) like they say honesty is the best policy. I don't reckon always, right? And in this moment, I'm like, you had one job, Sam. Like you literally had one job. Just say we were protecting Kyle. Anyway, it resulted in two weeks of straight detentions, which was a record at Waka Aranga Primary. You're welcome. <laughs> I don't know if the record still stands. I hope not. Well, no, I do hope, actually, because I hope no one's done anything worse than that. Sam and I, to be honest, back in those days, we used to get in trouble all the time. And we'd always end up getting in trouble with teachers and deputy principals and principals. But we used to pray that we wouldn't get sent straight to the principal. Like we would hope that we'd get sent to a teacher or maybe like a deputy principal or something like that because they weren't quite as scary. They were like representations of the principal. They were expressions of the principal, but they weren't quite him. We knew that if we got sent straight to the principal, ooh, he's going to lay it out. He was going to sort us out. He was going to help us realize what we needed to realize. You know, throughout my life, I've been asked a handful of questions that I remember. A handful of questions that have really got me thinking and challenged the way that I view God and the way that I view life. One of those questions seems very simple, but it allowed me to focus on something different. I remember back in 2011, I was sitting at um, what is now ELC, Elam Leadership College, and I was sitting in a lecture, and the lecturer asked me to read out a passage of Scripture. So I was a good boy. I did as I was told. I read out the Scripture, and then she asked me this question. She said, okay, cool. What is God like? Now, I know it sounds like a really simple question. It doesn't sound like a brainwave, and I guess it is simple, but what that question allowed me to do was take my focus off information about God to a recognizing of his very character and his very personality. I don't know why it stuck with me so much, but that simple question, what is God like? It truly changed my life. It changed the way that I read scripture. It changed the way that I connected with God. And so I wanna share with you today um, some things that came out of that moment and how I continue to apply that to my life because I believe that it can help you as well. Now, before going to ELC, I had read only a little bit of the Bible. Like I'm talking a couple of like the famous verses, right? Like John 3, 16, that's probably it, right? Like I'd read a couple of verses, but not much. I remember on the very first day we did a quiz and I thought Paul was a book in the Bible. Like it's okay if you still think that. I just didn't know like the names of the books. I didn't know anything. And so there I was sitting in a Bible college class thinking this is gonna be a roller coaster ride. I really didn't understand how the Bible would apply to my life. Like, I'll be honest, I read it, and I'm reading all these scriptures, and I'm reading all these stories, and I'm like, like, cool, but I just don't get it. I wonder if there's anyone here in the room today, like, you genuinely want to read the Bible, you want to get something out of it, but you just struggle. You do your best, you read the stories, but like me, maybe you don't understand how it applies to your life. I remember thinking, reading this and thinking, it just seems so irrelevant. Like, I don't have jars to fill with oil. I don't have barns to fill with hay or grain. I don't have sheep to lose or sheep to find, like... I don't understand how this has anything to do with my life, right? 
And the reason it seemed irrelevant is because I wasn't asking myself that question. What is God like? Like in light of what I'm reading, in light of what's right in front of me, what can I see about the nature of God? What is God like? Because if the Word of God truly is the Word of God, if it's alive, if it's living, if it can transform our life, if it's more than just ink on pages, then what we need to be able to do is extract the heart of God from its pages. We need to be able to identify the principles that we can apply to our life. See, when we ask that question, what is God like? We discover those very things, the principles, the things of God that are fundamentally true about who He is, things that are true regardless of external circumstances and situations. These things of God are true whether we like them or not. You know, when I was young, I would pray that I wouldn't be sent straight to the principle. But if it's the principles of God that have a direct relevance to our life today, then my new prayer is for each of us that we'd be sent straight to the principle, that we would actually be able to go straight after the things of God that are unchanging, the things of God that are true about His character. God didn't give us the Word so that we could quote Scripture and look holy in front of our friends, right? He gave us the Word so that we could know His heart, so that we could build a relationship with Him. See, when we know the principle, we know what God is like. And when we know what God is like, we experience and we view the world very differently. See, there's a story in the Bible, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've read it. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. And God says, don't muzzle the ox while it treads grain. That's funny. Like I just imagine like the poor ox with a muzzle on his face. And when you read that, I'm thinking, cool, doesn't apply to me. I don't have an ox or a muzzle, even if I did have an ox, right? So at first I'm thinking, what's going on here? And then I realize that the story was never about the muzzle and it was never about the ox. It was never even about the, the grain that it was treading. But if we look further, if we go beyond the surface level, we ask ourselves, what is God like? We realize that there's so much more. There's something of His character. There's a principle of God in this, right? So, so what He's highlighting is that when the ox treads the grain, He deserves to eat while He does it because someone who works should be paid, right? In a sense, you could look at this and go, this is God's heart on justice, on fairness, you could argue this is God's heart against slavery. Like if someone is to do the work, then they should be paid to do it. And so we read that and we go, don't muzzle the ox while it treads grain. What's that got to do with me? Well, we ask ourselves, what is God like? Well, He's just. He's fair. He's a provider. And He cares for our every need. And so this morning, I want to send us all straight to the principle. Is that okay? <laughs> for some of you, you're like, here we go again, right? I was talking to Darren Trollope before the service, and he was like, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> Called you out, sorry, bro. Um, I'm sending you straight to the principle. There's another story in the Bible that says, um, well, it talks about this adulterous woman. She's been caught in adultery, and the religious leaders of the day, they bring her to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, the law says we should stone her like to death, but what do you say, right? They're trying to catch her out. And so Jesus is sitting there, and as we read the story, he says, well, um, the one that has never sinned can throw the first stone, and of course, there's not a single person there who hasn't sinned, and so they leave one by one, and then he says to the woman, has no one stayed to condemn you? She says, no, not, not anyone. He says, well, then neither do I go and sin no more. You know, the truth is the story is not about adultery. It's not about knowing what the law said, but actually it's about the way that God approaches the shortcomings of his people, right? Like if we look past the specific application and we look at the heart of God and we ask ourselves, what is God like? We realize that he's gracious and that he wants to highlight in this moment that we've all fallen short of the glory of God that no one's perfect and therefore no one has the right to judge, that we each have this log in our own eyes. So rather than judging other people, we should first look inward. 
We should first have right accounts with God and, and address our own issues and support one another rather than pointing out the faults in other people. There's this other story about this guy named Zacchaeus, only mentioned once in the Bible in one passage. He's this short tax collector who runs ahead of the crowd, climbs a tree, Jesus sees him, they have a moment, his life is transformed forever. Now, when you read that story, do we, do we discover that God values those who climb trees? Maybe God has a special place in his heart for those who are tax collectors? Or do we begin to understand and see the heart of God that he not only dismisses the idea that past issues and labels disqualify us, he says, no, that's not the case, but that he would have a moment with anyone who would seek him. It doesn't matter about your old issues, where you've been, what you've done, the reputation that you hold. If anyone would seek him, desire to have a moment with him, we see that this is the nature of God, that God would connect with someone. He would look past that stuff. He would forgive it. And as a result, his life has changed forever. There's another story about 4,000 men and their families being fed. They've got no food and this miracle happens. But the truth is the story was never about hunger. It was never about bread. It wasn't about disciples or picnics, right? It wasn't about the fact that a bunch of grown men took a little boy's lunch. Like we just read that and we go, yeah, cool. But hang on, a bunch of grown men took a little boy's lunch, right? But it wasn't actually about that. It was about God's ability and willingness to provide for his people and to show once again that he actually cares for the needs of people. When they have needs, and God's heart is burdened for that. And he wants to fulfill their needs. He wants to help them. He wants to sustain them. When we read this and we ask ourselves what God is like, we find that he's a provider, that he's compassionate, and that he abundantly blesses. So we read these stories and we think, well, how do I apply that to my life? And maybe you've come and thinking, well, unless I find myself around 4,000 men and their families with nothing to eat, then I suppose I can't. Or we can remember and look for what God is like in the situation. We can look for his heart. We can look for the principle. We can look for the thing that actually applies to our life. We can remember that when we're struggling to make ends meet, when we can't pay the bills, when we can't feed the kids, when we don't have the right equipment, when our car fails us, we can remember in this moment what God is like, that he's a provider and that he cares for our needs. The specific application might not apply to us. But the truth is the principle always does. And this is where we get caught out. We say, well, the Bible doesn't mention this. The Bible doesn't mention this. Actually, if we look for his heart, we can see that it does. See, the, the principle is timeless. The principle represents the nature of God. So it will always apply. It applies the same today as it did back then. But the application may not be relevant to us today. And that's okay. You know, the reason that we can look at the word of God and say, it has the answer to every question. And it addresses every issue. It's not because every application is an example that applies to our situation today, but because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so if we can see what God is like when he addressed that situation, if we can see what God is like when he responded to that challenge, we can be confident and assured that he would respond in the same way today. And so my prayer for you today is that you would be helped so that you could go home, read the scripture, and actually be highlighted. It's alive. It's living. And you could see the nature of God. This is what I believe. If you read scripture and you ask yourself what God is like and you draw out the heart of God, a few things are going to come easier to you. Okay. I want to go through those this morning. The first thing that's going to come easier to you today, if you would do that, is that you can make better decisions. All right. You can make better decisions. Now in life, I've made a lot of bad decisions. Like a lot of bad decisions. I remember one time as a kid, I saw this bit of wood and I, I understood the concept of a splinter. But something came over me and I thought, I wonder how many splinters I can get in one go, right? So I just, 
The answer is hundreds, all right? <laughs> Learn from my mistakes. Like, that's not a good situation. I've made many bad decisions in my life. I remember jumping off my garage roof and landing on a big piece of wood with three rusty nails straight, straight through my foot. Not out the top, so it's not all bad, all right? That was like my seventh tetanus injection. You're meant to get like one every 10 years. I was like 14. I've made some bad decisions in life. And if you've made bad decisions, congratulations, you're human. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the party. We all make mistakes. Trying to live a life mistake-free is just not a reality. You're trying to negate the grace of God, and you're trying to do it all in your own strength. The truth is mistakes will be part of our life. And unfortunately, mistakes will be part of the future life that we have ahead of us. But just because that's the case doesn't mean we need to submit ourselves to this chaotic, uninformed life where just everything goes crazy, right? Like, well, I just guess I'll make all the mistakes I can. No, 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 no. We need God's grace to pick us up. We need God's grace to keep us going forward, to allow us to continue where we are, to give us a fresh start, but not a restart. But when you know what God is like, you simply have a master consulter in your decision-making process. When I read the Word of God and I begin to deposit His heart into my heart, when I begin to understand how He wants me to live my life and why He wants me to live that way, I'll tell you what happens. All of a sudden, I come across a crossroads moment and it's not so crossed anymore. I have God's wisdom, I have His guidance, I have His commands to guide me and help me make those decisions. When I come across a tempting situation, tempting in a bad sense, all of a sudden that temptation has a light of truth flashed upon it, and I'm more equipped and more empowered to make the right decision to honor God. See, if a principle of God is a fundamental truth, it means it never changes and it will always be relevant to our lives. I had a non-Christian friend a little while ago, he said to me, he goes, honestly, how can you live your life according to an outdated book that has no evidence for its truth or its reliability? I said, <laughs> firstly, you're wrong. Secondly, I said, the reason I can do that is because I'm confident that the Word of God is complete and strong enough to stand on its own two feet as authoritative without your apparent need for evidence. I said, the reason that I can base my life off the Word of God and do my very best to live to its commands and its wisdom is because every time I've done that, Every time I've read something and I've done my best to apply that to my life, step out in faith and believe what it says, I've never, ever been let down by it. I said, I've put it to the test. I said, time and time again, there's what like, the world is telling me. There's what my own reasoning and logic tell me. But then I say, you know what? What position am I in? I might as well choose to trust the Word of God. And I apply it to my life. It doesn't always make sense to me, but God has always proven to be faithful. So I said, that's why I continue to do it. I remember one time I used to get in a whole lot of trouble for what I would say, right? Like, that's not a surprise to many people because I like to think. I like to think a lot. I like to think deep about things. So every time I would speak, I would put a lot into it, right? <laughs> that's like a nice way of saying I have real strong opinions, okay? <laughs> get used to it. And it would get me in a lot of trouble. People were like, you just, you just don't stop, like, talking all the time, talking rubbish. And I'm like, yeah, half that's true. And, but I remember reading the Word of God. And I remember going, okay, God, like this is early in my faith. And I was clearly having this challenge I could identify. And I remember going, God, I, I remember in your Word, it says that even a fool seems wise when he says nothing. Like, if you just shut your mouth, no one knows that you're dumb, right? Like, if you say nothing, then no one has a reason to go, you're saying dumb stuff right? So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take that on board. I also remember reading that there is the power of life and death in the tongue. 
This is not proverbial. Like literally life and death rests in the power of the tongue. And I remember reading these things and I said, okay, God, I'm gonna put you to the test. I'm gonna completely live my life to this. I'm gonna completely surrender my life to what you're saying so that if it doesn't work, it's all your fault. Like, because if I half do it and then it doesn't work, then he's kind of saying, yeah, but if you had done it my way, then maybe it would have worked out. So I said, I'm going to do my very best to live my life completely according to your commands and to see if what you're saying is true. Can I tell you, it was absolutely true. The way that I would engage with people was transformed. The conversations that we had were different. I went through a season of listening more and speaking less. And it, it honestly, don't laugh, it honestly it transformed the way that I would build mutual respect with people, the way that people could feel heard in a conversation, it wasn't always just about what I was saying. And as a result of them feeling heard, they were more inclined to listen to what I would say. It honestly changed my world. It changed the way I interacted with people. It turned out that these things were true. This is the truth. The Bible doesn't say, don't go clubbing, right? Like, let's be honest, the Bible doesn't say don't go clubbing. The Bible doesn't say um, not to do drugs. Like, I know that's, that's a brainwave. Like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? The the Bible doesn't say don't do drugs. The Bible doesn't say don't watch that TV show. Don't watch those YouTube clips. The Bible doesn't say um, you should mentor a young person to help them in a relationship with God. The Bible doesn't specifically mention these things, yet we know exactly what God's heart is on them. As we read the stories and we extract his heart off the pages, we realize that, that when we can connect with God's heart, we know how to respond to these situations. We know exactly what God is thinking and feeling and what his heart is when we observe his principles. This is the truth. Why are we looking for loopholes instead of looking for the heart of God? Why are we saying, yeah, but the Bible doesn't say we can't do that, right? Like I hear young people say this all the time. I'm like, yeah, but like, what do you think God would think about that? What do you think God's best is for your life? What is his heart on this issue? The Bible doesn't say don't go clubbing. Why? Because back in the biblical times, there was no club, right? They might have had somewhat of an equivalent, but that specific application, that specific outworking of a principle didn't apply, but the principle remains. The Bible not, might not mention that, but we know what God's heart is on us surrounding ourselves with the right people, about positioning ourselves with the right company. Proverbs 23 verse 19 to 21 says, My child, listen and be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. Do not carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons, for they are on their way to poverty and too much sleep. Clothes them in rags. The Bible might not mention drugs in a direct manner. But yet, at the same time, we know what God's heart is on us caring for our bodies, the only body that He's given us. He declares us to be temples of the Holy Spirit. And so, although it might not mention it, we can certainly draw out the principles of God. We can draw out His heart and we can understand that in First Peter 4 verse 7, it says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded, get this, for the sake of your prayers. Like your prayers could actually depend on this on your sober-mindedness, on staying clear-headed, on caring for your bodies. The Bible might not mention certain TV shows or programs, right? It doesn't say don't watch Game of Thrones because there was no Game of Thrones back then. But God's heart for us is that we would focus on the right things. And this applies to the way that we view media. So you got the scripture in Philippians 4 verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Be considerate about the influences you're allowing into your life. Be mindful of what you're looking at and hearing and letting into your world. When we commit ourselves to understand the fundamental truths of God, making decisions that are both wise and God-honoring become a whole lot easier. Second thing we can do easier is that we can make sense of the chaos. We can make sense of the chaos. The truth is life can be really chaotic. 
And while God doesn't promise to take the chaos away, what He does promise is to support us as we walk through it and to bring some perspective on it. Right? And, and even though life can be chaotic, we know that God is a God of order. We know this to be true. It says this in Psalm 51 verse 10 in the message version. All right, Message version, probably not the greatest version to like be your main source of scripture reading, but it can be great to help you understand the heart of God. And I love the way that it words it. It says, shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Maybe you felt like you've had a chaotic week or you're living through a chaotic season. The scripture says, God, would you shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life? The book of Genesis is is systematic. It's ordered. It's structured. There's procedure. And so when we read this, we realize that it speaks of a fresh start, of new beginnings. It speaks of order coming out of chaos. I remember in the early hours of the morning one day back in 2012, I got a phone call from my brother's girlfriend. And she said, Adam, your dad's had a heart attack. Um, he's been rushed to Whanganui Hospital where he was living, in Whanganui, not the hospital. And um, they said, um, it's not good. I said, just you come down as soon as you can. So I did the only thing I knew to do in that moment. I just prayed. I just prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And then I got to the point where I felt like I was repeating my prayers and I knew that God heard me and I just prayed. And then I went to sleep. I booked the very first flight I could. I went down the next night. And I remember being there by the bedside as my dad lay there unconscious, but in a stable condition. And all of my family are there and none of them are Christians. Many of them have never been in church before, and they are freaking out. Understandable. This is a bad situation. It seems like all hope is lost. It's not looking good. And I'm there, and I just, I can't believe the amount of peace that's on my heart in this moment. It's weird. I almost feel guilty. Like, shouldn't I feel worse about this? Shouldn't, shouldn't I also be crying like my other family members? But I remember that God's word said that he gives a peace that goes beyond our understanding. It was a piece that didn't make sense. And as I sat there and I tried to console my family and I tried to assure them that it was going to be okay, I, I wasn't sure if it was going to be. Turned out that my dad did die a few days later after that. But I just remember being in that moment and remembering that God was a comforter. I know that one of the names for the Holy Spirit is a comforter. And I remember in my head just again and again, just quoting the book of Job that says, he gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. And I remember that, one of the greatest challenges for me in that moment was to declare that despite my situation being a really bad one, God was still good. Our situations and our circumstances do not change the nature of God. We're not that strong and He's not that weak. He is who He is and He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And can I tell you the truth? Knowing that God was a comforter helped me to feel comforted in that situation. Knowing that He was close beside me allowed me to have peace. If I didn't know who God was, if I only knew information about God, but I didn't actually know him for myself, then maybe my experience would have been very different. It didn't take the chaos away, but it allowed me to walk through it a whole lot easier. I remember reading in the book of Matthew chapter five, there's this portion called the Beatitudes and it's part of a bigger sermon that Jesus gives on on the Mount of Olives. And it's called the Beatitudes and there's one part in it. It says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. It's amazing as as everything I had read in Scripture was coming back to me in this moment. Because it it isn't just words. It isn't just wisdom, but it's the heart of God. And He was reminding me in that moment. Faith is not just believing for a miracle, all right? Because we certainly believe for miracles here. But faith is living your life according to the Word of God as if it were true. Like actually saying, God, I, I realize that what you're asking me to do 
is maybe contradictory to what the world is asking me to do, but because I trust that you have a plan and a purpose for my life, I'm going to choose obedience. I'm going to choose faithfulness. I'm going to choose to actually live my life according to your word, even if it doesn't completely make sense. Like when I can't pay the rent this week and I have no idea where the money's going to come from, God, I'm going to praise you and thank you for your provision anyway. I know that sounds crazy, but try it and see what happens. When you say, God, someone's hurt me, like really hurt me. Like, I don't even want to see their face. I don't even want to hear someone say their name. And God, you say to bless my enemies? <laughs> God, you're crazy. Like, you don't understand what I'm going through. We say, God, did you get out of bed on the wrong side today? Like, do you even understand what they did to me? And he says, yeah, I do. And I want you to bless your enemies. I know that seems crazy, but do it and see what happens. When God says forgiveness isn't just a decision, but it's an attitude that we need to apply to every part of our life, to jump at every situation. When we need to forgive people before they say sorry, or even if they don't, this is when the Word of God is so relevant to our lives. When we need to step out, this is what faith looks like. Faith isn't just to believe for a miracle that all of a sudden someone's completely miraculously healed, although that does happen, but faith is choosing to live your life according to the Word of God. Growing up, I had a really tough relationship with my mom. It was abusive. It got to the point where I moved out as a 16-year-old. And it was just really troublesome. We never really got along. I'm going to make a long story short. It got to the point where there was very little contact between us. I remember one day, I wasn't even a Christian yet, which is, is amazing as I reflect and I realized God's hand was still on me then. Um, I came to the point where I had to forgive her. And, and I knew that the forgiveness, because I read this in the Word, I knew this was God's heart, that I would forgive someone more so firstly for me that I would be released from the hurt that that would carry, and secondly, for the other person. And I remember forgiving my mom, and one of my best friends who had journeyed with me through all of that trouble, who had seen all of the commotion go on, I remember him say to me, how can you forgive her? Like, after all she's done, and she's never even said sorry. And I remember in that moment, I guess you could say it was a revelation, I remember thinking, if I waited for my mom to be sorry, I might be waiting forever. And in that moment, I chose to forgive her. And release her, and I only want the best for her now. But choosing to do that, understanding that God is gracious and forgiving, helped me to be gracious and forgiving. Final thing, and I'm gonna go through this real quick because we're almost out of time. Third thing is that we can develop intimacy with God. It's a no brainer that the more time we spend with someone, the better intimacy we can build. Right? The more time we spend with someone, the more we get to know their heart. Like I could tell you a lot about certain celebrities, but I don't know what they're like. I don't, I don't know their heart. I don't know how they would respond in certain situations. I might know information about them, but I don't actually know them. What's missing is quality time spent with them. And Jesus addressed this with the Pharisees, these guys that knew a lot of information about God. And he said, the problem is you know so much about God, but you don't even know him enough to recognize him when he stands right in front of you. And he says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. And this is after them boasting about all the things that they had done for him. There is no substitute to quality time in achieving intimacy with God. There just isn't. There's no easy way to do it. It's simply the way that it needs to be. As we spend time with God in his presence, we get to know his heart. We get to know his character. And so what does quality time look like with you and God? Is it quiet times in the morning where you just, sit in his presence, you reflect on his plan for your life? Is it going for a walk as you reflect on your own character and, and open up your life and allow him to speak into your world, to shift some stuff and refine you? 
You know, when I was at um, ELC, um, we did this course called Interpreting Scripture. It was the hardest. Like half the class failed, right? Not this guy. I was determined. And, and I remember not really understanding the questions. I was like, I, I, how can I answer if I don't understand the question? And so what I did is I determined to get around Shane, who was the principal and the teacher of that lesson, I'm going to get in his world, right? So I would make up all sorts of reasons to get into his office. I'd be knocking on his door, asking him questions, asking him questions about his personal life. He'd be walking from one class to the next. I'd just be like shadowing him, asking him questions. I'd get the assignment and i see a specific question. So i just ask him that, hoping he answers it for me, but he was too switched on. I spent as much time as I could around Shane so that I could begin to know him, that we could build intimacy. I would know what he was thinking. I would know his heart. Now, when I sat in a test and I saw the question, I got it. I understood where he was coming from. I understood his perspective. I understood what the question meant. So now I could answer it. I remember one time um, back when we were youth pastors, um, Darcy and I had been married a little while. And I mean, Darcy, we spent a lot of time together, right? Like we share a house, a car, a bed. We used to share an office. Now we have separation in that. And, and amen. Um, and <laughs> people are like, that's crazy. There's so much time. I'm like, that's not crazy. That's blessed, right? Like, because we've had so much time together that we've developed a closeness, I know what she's like. I know what she wants. I know what she's thinking sometimes. I, I know what she's like. And so I remember this one time, a bunch of teenagers came and they said, Frosty, Darcy said it's all good if we all leave our school bags in your office till the end of the day. I said, you're lying. I said, there, there is no way she agreed to that. I said, I know her well enough that I know that she doesn't like cluttered space. And she would have answered your proposition with a get lost. All right? So when you come to me and you present something that's not the truth, because I've spent time with her, because we've developed intimacy, I know how she would respond. I know that's not what she would say. So I can decline your request and not receive it into my life. You want to know God's heart on how to raise your kids? on how to build healthy relationships, on how to handle your money, on how to be patient, gracious, and kind, on how to handle loss and challenge. Spend time with God. Sit in His presence. Worship Him. Open your Bible, but don't just read stories. Ask yourself the question, what is God like? Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with that person and they with me. What is Jesus saying? If you let me in, I'm not coming in so I can teach you. I'm not coming in so I can correct you. I just want to eat with you and you with me. He's just after intimacy. Keys, you can join me. That's all God's ever wanted, to know you. I said it at the start, but the truth is God didn't give us his word so that we could sound holy and quote it. God didn't give us the word so we can say, oh, yes, I know that story too, right? But he gave it so it would be an expression of his heart so we could draw out the principles that we could apply to our lives. See, when you know someone and you spend time with them, you can build intimacy with them. I wonder what would happen if we challenged ourselves to, I'm, I'm not suggesting we overlook the context. I'm not suggesting we overlook the specific application and outworking of that principle. It's important that we know that. But first and foremost, could we go straight to the principle? Could we ask us that question, what? is God like? In light of what I'm reading, what can I pick up about his character? What can I pick up about his personality? What can I pick up about his heart? Because when you know that, you can be confident that despite what you face, he is with you. If you see how he responded back then, you know he'll respond the same way now. And then you realize that God has always been for you and he's never been against you. 
God has always desired that you would know purpose, that you would know that He has a plan for your life, that you matter, that you're an individual that He doesn't just see as part of a crowd, but He loves you. And all He's ever wanted is intimacy. You know, when you ask yourself what God is like, it helps you to make better decisions. It helps you to make sense of the chaos. And actually, probably more important than any of that, it helps you to build intimacy with God. I don't know how you ended up here today, as Darcy said this morning, but the truth is you're here on purpose to hear this word. You're here on purpose to be reminded that God loves you and wants to take you in, not a refined, improved, developed version of you, but the right now version of you. With all the messiness, all the muck, He's not afraid of it all. He wants to welcome you in. I just want to invite everyone to close their eyes. We're going to pray. Father God, I thank you that as we open up your word and we ask ourselves that question, what is God like? You speak to us and you reveal yourself to us. You revealed yourself in the person of Jesus. And when we look to him, we see the Father. I pray God that as people leave this place today, that have a fresh revelation and understanding that you do wanna speak to them, that you're not playing hide and seek and that you wanna help them to make great God honoring decisions. You wanna help them to walk through the chaos when it may come but ultimately you just wanna know them personally. I pray that you'd help them with that in Jesus' name. With every eye still closed and every head still bowed, I wanna pray one final prayer. And it's for a group of people in this room that if you're to be honest, maybe you would say, at the moment I'm kind of feeling like those Pharisees, like those religious leaders. Maybe I know some stuff about God, but I don't actually know God. I don't actually know His heart. Maybe this is your first time in church, you've only been a few times and you've never made a decision to start a relationship with Jesus. Well, He invites you to do that today. Whether this is the first time you're making this decision or you're coming back to God, I want you to understand that God is standing there with His arms open wide and He is so excited at the thought of welcoming you home. Bible says that He died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to take the punishment, but He took it on Himself, that if we would believe in Him and confess Him as Lord, that we would be saved, made brand new, a fresh start, released from any bondage that we may have in our life. Gone is the shame, gone is the guilt, and brand new life comes. I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. And if that's you today, you know that you're just one prayer away from being right with God. I wanna invite you to make this your own prayer. I'll pray it out loud. You pray it in your heart, but you mean this with everything that you've got. Say, dear God, I acknowledge that I've sinned. I've chosen my own way above your way, but I come back to you now. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and I believe in faith that you do. God, I thank you that you went to that cross. You died and you took upon the punishment for my sin onto yourself that I may be seen as innocent and free. In this moment, I choose to turn to you and I ask you to help me. I wanna start a brand new relationship with you today in Jesus' name. With every eye still closed, if you prayed that prayer, if you meant it, I want you to do something nice and brave. I don't mean to embarrass you. I won't do anything like that. I won't call you out. We won't come visit your house, but I want you to do something nice and brave. And this is between you and God. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. It's like a physical representation of a decision that you've made. And this is a big step for you. I'm gonna count down from three. If that was you, you prayed it, you meant it. I want you to be nice and brave and lift your hand nice and high. Three, two, one, go right now. Awesome, amazing. Praise God, praise God. Is there anyone else at the back there? Awesome, amazing. Anyone else? Yes, back here as well. Just a few final moments. You prayed that prayer. You meant it. He welcomes you exactly as you are today. 
Amen.